right, have a seat. Have a seat and breathe. Breathe a lot. It said, I mean, the caution right up front said it'll make you tired, so we gave you fair warning. <laughs> I'm tired too. Okay, so just so you're all aware, we do have coffee and bagels in the back. Please, at any moment, if you would like to grab either of those, I'm out of breath. <laughs> okay, don't hesitate. We're not going to be offended. So please help yourself. Get up if you need to. No pressure there. So if you don't know, huh? Yes, yeah, so if you're not aware, we're doing a series this summer for four weeks. This is week two called Great Kids of the Bible. And so we're keeping all of our explorers and voyagers here in the service. Climbers, which is our little, littlest ones, we still have a, uh, something for you as well. So if you'd like to, to have childcare for that, please feel free to take advantage of that. But other than that, we want to invite our kids to stay in for this series because we're talking about these great kids. I'm still out of breath. <laughs> kids, how do you do that? Like every week. Not every week, but you do it a lot. My goodness, okay, I need some water. I'm gonna milk this. Okay, so we're doing this great kids of the Bible series. Every week we're taking a look at one kid of the Bible who God used to do great things. So Brian alluded last week, we talked about a servant girl of a guy named uh, Naaman. So this girl didn't have a name, but God used her to do a big, big thing in Naaman's life. And this week, it's no exception, we're going to cover another story, and it has to do with one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did. So kids, raise your hand. What do you think we're talking about? What's, what's one of the best miracles, the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did? Yeah, that's the best one. Absolutely. <laughs> that is the best miracle. I'm thinking one of the best. Abriel, you are on it. That's it. That's what we're here for. All right, another big miracle. What, what's another big miracle that Jesus did? Okay, adults, you can chime in too. Cameron. Yes, raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. What else? We're not there yet. Another big one. Right here, Joe. Feeding of the 5,000. That's it. That's what we're talking about today. So many of you know this story. Kids, you probably are very familiar with it. It's one of my favorite. It's one of the biggest miracles that happens in the Bible because we know it happens in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them mention this miracle because the, the Gospel writers felt that it was that important. Every one of them thought it was that important to make sure that they included it. So we're going to talk about this a little bit, but we really hope that we're going to come at this at a slightly different angle that'll surprise you a little bit. But we're going to be looking at John's account, so we're not gonna actually going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, we're looking in John. It's chapter 6. It does show up in all four Gospels, but that's where we're going to be looking at today. And Jack and I, we're going to have some fun here. We're going to act this story out a little bit, just to refresh your minds as to what happened. So in this scenario, I'm Jesus. I'm the Christ figure because, I mean, if, of the two of us, it's a no-brainer, right? I'm sorry. I got a beard. I think that's the qualifier. So Jack's okay. working on one. So I'm going to be Jesus. Jack is going to be our disciples here. Um, he's going to play different ones. And you all get to be the crowd. Okay, kids, I especially need you to be the crowd, okay? Embrace this role. So this is what happened. 
Jesus and his disciples just got done doing a lot of miracles, a lot of ministry, and they're getting tired, and they're just like, you know what, we need a break. So they hop in their boat, and they sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, they are so captivating to all of these people, to the crowds, all of you people, that they decide to follow him, but not in boats. Not, not all of them had boats. So they walked around the Sea of Galilee, miles and miles, just to follow Jesus. So Jesus and disciples get to the other side of the sea, and sure enough, there's the people. They followed him. So Jesus has compassion on them. He starts healing the sick. He starts doing more of those miracles. And the day goes on. It gets late, and Jesus' disciples come to him and say this. Jesus, there are so many people here. Can we send them home? It's the Passover. They need to go get food. We're tired. They're tired. Just send them home. Just send them home so they can go get food. I got an idea. Why don't you feed them? What? Yeah, no, I, well, I mean, they're hungry, right? So you should feed them. What? How? I can't feed them. There's so many people out here. How do you want me to feed them? Where's Josh? Is Josh not here today? Josh eats so much food. How am I supposed to feed someone like Josh? He's not here, so there you go. There's one down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people, right? I still want you to do it. So get into the story here, okay? Try to, try to insert yourself into the story. Jesus' disciples are freaking out. They're like, you, there's no way you can be serious, Jesus, right? There's 5,000 people here, and you want us to feed them? Not only that, uh, John's gospel tells us it was the Passover. And if you don't know anything about the Passover, kids, I'm not sure if you do, think Thanksgiving and Fourth of July just smooshed together. And one big holiday for the Jewish people. So there is usually an expectation of there being a lot of food, a lot of celebration. And it's on that day that Jesus looks to his disciples and says, hey, I want you to feed them. So then Philip, the guy, the disciple who kind of crunches the numbers often, comes to Jesus and says this. So, see this big number? This big number means over half a year's wage we would need to purchase enough food for every single one of these people to have one bite. This big, huge number. Yeah, I see that. That is a big number. Yeah, I, I want you to feed them. How? What do, you want, what, what do you want me to do, Jesus? I want you to feed them. Okay, so again, the disciples are baffled. They're like, what, what are you talking about? So Philip comes to Jesus and says, do you realize, did the math, counted the cost, it would take over half a year's wage to feed people one bite. So let's take a reasonable salary, uh, $50,000 a year. Some of you make way more than that, some of you make way less than that. But, think about it, cut that in half, $25,000 in today's terms to feed these people one bite. That's a lot of money. Jesus didn't have a lot of money. His disciples did not have a lot of money. So of course they're freaking out. There's just so many people, Jesus. I don't have that much money. What? Tell me what you want me to do. because. There's, just, there's too many people. Okay, well, because this is so hard for you to understand <laughs> that I am Jesus, <laughs> let me get you started here. Okay, think about it. There's all these people here, right? Right. Some of them might actually have food on them already. Oh. So, why don't you go take a look? Okay, I'll go take a and look. And see, see what's out there. Okay, okay. So Jesus sends his disciples. He you said, look, okay, food? fine, I'll get you started. You have any food? We're going to send you into the crowds to find food. Do you have any food? Please tell me if you have some food. I need food. Do you have any food? Oh, sick, some food. Oh, sorry, I just totally spilled your tea. 
Do you guys have food? I need some more food. Nothing? Tell him, tell him, stand up, tell him. You have food? Well, come up, with, come up here with me, because if you have food, I need it. This little boy, he had some food and also a mint, so there's that. I don't know what you're going to do with that, Jesus, but it's something, I guess. Great. Well, thank you so much. You can have a seat. So the disciples come back, specifically Andrew. Andrew comes back and is like, okay, Jesus, we found a little boy. He offered his lunch. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish. But come on, let's be realistic. What's that going to do? So even Andrew is just like, I, pff, this is ridiculous. I don't know what you want us to do, but I guess there's a kid with food. So what Jesus does is he takes this bread and he raises it up and he blesses it. He blesses it, prays over it, starts breaking it apart and starts handing baskets full back to the disciples and said, here you go. Go hand this out. Okay. Can I get some help from you guys to hand out all this food, please? Thank you. Here, here comes candy. BTS. All right, we got people coming in the room with candy. So, kids especially, get your fill. Take as much as you want. So this is what happens. I did. Sorry, parents. So Jesus starts breaking this bread, breaking the fish, and it begins to multiply. And it begins to multiply and multiply. And the disciples are kind of freaking out, I bet. You know, it doesn't really tell us. But they're probably like, where is all of this coming from? This is ridiculous. This is amazing. What's going on? So yes, please, please. I love hearing the sound of all these rappers. <laughs> so while you're enjoying that, if you can listen up, you can listen while you're eating the delicious candy. John, his gospel tells us that... Everybody ate as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. So not only did they all get a bite. I'm sorry, we don't have as much for you that morning, or this morning. But everybody, everybody got to eat as much as they wanted. And that's one of Jesus' greatest miracles. But I want to tell you something. Because Matthew, like I said, this shows up in all four Gospels, right? Matthew gives us a quick note. And he says, you know what? 5,000 people counted the amount of men present. For whatever reason, that's how they counted. I don't understand why. But he says there were also women and children there. So 5,000 men plus women and children. So realistically, we could think that maybe the crowd was actually anywhere from about 10,000 people to about 25,000 people, depending on how many women and children were there. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'll eat that later. <laughs> so... Kids, where would you see that many people in one spot? A Rockies game. Sometimes. <laughs> There's a lot of empty seats when I go there. Yes. Denver. Denver? Yes, you would see that many people in Denver. Denver's really big, though. Like, can you think of one place, one place that you would see that many people? Abriel. A fireworks stadium. Yeah, we just said 4th of July. I bet you there were some of those. Yeah. Broncos game. Broncos game would have a little bit more. That's a big stadium, and it's always packed out. Love the Broncos. Okay, so has anybody here ever been to Red Rocks Amphitheater for a concert or anything like that? Okay, good. Some of you, I hope, hopefully you saw a really good concert there. 
I want you to take a look at this. This is Red Rocks Amphitheater in our backyard. Red Rocks has a capacity of 10,000 people. So if you can imagine this, this is what Jesus and his disciples were looking at. They were looking at that many people, if not two of those. And all of them ate enough to, to be satisfied, to eat as much as they wanted. That is one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did, by far. It was unbelievable. So we're going to be talking about this miracle, but we're going to take a look at one specific character. And that is the little boy who offered his lunch. This little boy offered the materials that Jesus used to feed 5,000 people. We give Jesus the glory, rightfully so, but think about it. That miracle wouldn't have happened if that little boy didn't offer his lunch. I mean, nobody else offered food. Maybe Jesus didn't need food to start with, but he wanted it. He wanted someone to be willing to hand or to, to offer their food so he could do this miracle for this huge, huge crowd of people. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at this character. We're going to call him Lunch Boy for the morning, LB for short, okay? So if we say LB, that's who we're talking about. LB. And this is the big lesson we want to learn this morning through him, is that God will use you to do big things if you're willing. And I'm looking at you this morning. God will use you, all of you, to do big things if you're willing. So we're going to take a look at Lunch Boy. Many of you may be thinking right now, you may, you may have a bunch of these reasons and ex excuses running through your minds as far as how God will not use you in particular. I mean, that's LB. LB's pretty cool, right? God did a big thing through him. He's not going to do a big thing through me, right? I mean, come on. But I'm trying to tell you this is that he will if you're willing. So we're going to look at three things in particular that we learn from LB. Three things that we can learn and realize that God does want to use us to do big things. Right. So the first thing, the very first thing we can learn from LB is that God will do big things through you even if you're insignificant. Even if you're insignificant. So this miracle happens in all four Gospels, like Alex said, and only the Gospel of John talks about Lunch Boy. So me and Alex, we thought this was kind of interesting. So we did a bunch of research for, what, like two weeks? Yeah. And we looked through many, many different commentaries, and we found absolutely nothing about Lunch Boy. There's literally nothing out there other than just mentioning that he was there. So we thought this was really, really curious, and we came to the conclusion that Lunch Boy was an insignificant character in the Bible. And he's not the only insignificant character either. We saw this last week, this name in Servant Girl. She was insignificant. And it's not just kids either. It's not just kids who are insignificant in the Bible. Let me make this real. Okay, raise your hand if you can name all 12 disciples, or even like just some of them. Anybody? You guys raise your hands. Let's be interactive. This is my first time preaching. Just yell out names. Just yell out names. Yes, yes, good. That's a lot of names all at once. Okay. Let's focus in on one specific disciple. Um, anybody know anything about Disciple Bart? The, the disciple named Bart? Bartholomew? What do we know about him? That he's a disciple, yeah? 
We don't know anything about him. The Bible doesn't say very much about Bartholomew other than his name. And he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the 12. And God used him to do great things, even though he was insignificant. And so what I think John is trying to tell us with this story by mentioning LB is that when we're willing to let God use us, sometimes we don't get a spotlight. And that can be really difficult for us. That can be something we have to struggle with. And this is something I actually have been struggling with a lot recently in this internship. I, uh, I wanted so badly to be in this place of like leadership or have this spotlight or to have significance. And that wasn't the mindset that I should have been having. And God asked me this question. He asked me, am I okay with being insignificant? And that was something I had to wrestle with. And so I was reading this book called In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen, and this quote really helped me wrestle with him and find this answer, so I'm going to read it for you guys. I am telling you all this because I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her vulnerable self. That is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. The greatest message that we have to carry as ministers of God's word and followers of Jesus is that Jesus loves us, not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as the true source of all human life. So Lunchboy was willing to give, <coughs> excuse me, Lunchboy was willing to give what he had and he didn't get a spotlight, but that's okay. That's okay that he didn't get a spotlight because in the end, God was glorified even more than he would have been if Lunchboy did have a spotlight. And so, so, when we are willing to do things for God, when God wants to use us, we have to be okay with the fact that we might not get a spotlight. We have to be okay with that. And so what I've learned from this and what I've learned from LB is that my place is supposed to be willing to learn and to serve and to grow in this internship and be willing in the same way that Lunchboy was willing. And so now I want to ask the same question to you guys. Are you okay with being insignificant? Are you okay with that? Adults, if you guys serve behind the scenes at this church doing slides or the sound or janitorial work and no one ever gives you any recognition for that, are you okay with that? Kids, let's face it, you guys are kind of insignificant right now. All you do is just suck the life from your parents, <laughs> take all their money and all of their food. So mom, Lisa, Lisa, for 18 years I've sucked the life from you and I feel really bad. Dad, you're fine. But what, what I'm trying to, what, what, my, what my point is, is that even though, kids, you're insignificant right now, God still wants to use you. He still wants to use you. Right now, in this moment, he wants to use you. And so my point overall is that if you're willing, God will use you to do big things, even if you're insignificant. All right, so the second thing we can learn from LB is that God will do big things through you 
even if you don't have much to offer. Right? So think about it. Let's get back into the story. LB, what does he have to offer? He's got a lunch. He's got his own personal lunch. That's it. We're told five barley loaves and two fish. And we thought about bringing examples for you, but we didn't want to stink up the place. Because, you know, I don't know what you think about. When I heard this story, for the longest time, I kind of thought about these really big, nice, fresh loaves of bread straight from the bakery and, like, two really nice fish from Seattle's Pike's Place Market. That's kind of what I envisioned, right? A nice little Bible story. But this kid had five barley loaves, which we were doing a little bit of research. We found out, look, this, is, this was the bread that the poor people ate. They didn't, I mean, it was a very cheap bread. Wasn't, it was pretty bland. And it was pretty small. And the fish were probably two little tiny pickled fish. They smelled awful, like anchovies or something. But so if you can think about it, think about this. Like, if, if I were lunch boy, if I were lunch boy and I'm sitting in the crowds, where do I want to sit? I'm going to sit over here. It's going to make you move, make you shuffle. Okay, I'm lunch boy. Sitting in the crowd, and I see the disciples walking around looking for food. And I can tell, I'm like, okay, they're looking for food. If it were me, I'd be like, man, I don't have anything. I got a lunch, you know? That could barely feed me. Should I say anything? Should I offer? No. It probably, it, it wouldn't make a difference anyways. I'm just going to, I'm just not going to say anything. That's how I would think, Okay. That's how I would think about it, but, but little lunch boy, LB here, decides, just as we saw in our example earlier, stands up and like, look, I got food, I got food. Just excited to offer up what he had. So he was willing to offer up what he had, and even Andrew, the disciple, walks back up with this little boy, and he's thinking the same thing. He's like, okay, should I even say something to Jesus? Come on, it's a lunch. And he, he decides for whatever reason to come up, like, okay, Jesus, you know, I guess there's this kid, he's got some food, but pff, I don't know what you're going to do with it. But the point is, the kid offered up what he had. He simply offered up what he had. It wasn't much. And we're told all throughout Scripture that Jesus doesn't care what you have to offer. All he cares about is whether you offer it. There's a great story in Mark 12. If you're writing notes, there's just a great one to, to mark down. Mark 12, starting in verse 41, where people are giving publicly into the treasury of the temple. They're just giving, right? Same thing that we do with church. We, we offer part of our income to kind of help the ministry of the church go. So they're offering money, and there's all these rich people kind of roll, unrolling their wads of cash, like dumping in a bunch of money. I'm like, oh, yeah, look, I offered way more than you did. I'm so important. And then there's this little old lady who walks up and drops two pennies, the equivalent of two pennies, into the offering. And Jesus is there, and he says to everybody, he says, look, this woman offered more than all of you. Because she put everything in she, that she had to live on. She didn't have much, right? She had virtually nothing. But she offered it up. And that's what Jesus is, is telling us in this story with this miracle. This message for us is, it doesn't matter what you have to offer. Kids, Jack just told you you were insignificant. I'm sorry for that. I'm, I really hope you weren't offended. But it's kind of <laughs> true. You don't have anything hardly. You don't have a home. Your parents have a home. You don't have a room. Your parents have a room that they lend you. Any money you get is from them because they love you and they're gracious towards you. So maybe you have some allowance money. That's great. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't have anything to offer. But if you offer what you have, then God will do big things through you. He will. Maybe it's not your resources. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your words. Kids especially, I mean, you guys know what, it, what it's like to be bullied or to bully. You know, it's really easy to get caught up in everything, to call people names, to get in fights. What if you went out of your way 
to tell people encouraging words about them. Tell your friends how awesome they are. Tell them what specifically makes them unique, what makes them your friend. Adults in the room. So I feel this because adults, we have stuff, okay? We do have stuff. And for too many of us, it always feels like we don't have enough. We kind of get into this mentality of we never have enough. And I even feel that now, too, because uh, me and my wife, especially with Teddy, like we have one of those money suckers now. <laughs> so Teddy is really adorable. He's cute. He's amazing. But we kind of get in this mentality of, too, like, man, all of our money is going to childcare and to this. And we just bought a house, which we're super excited for. Now we have to pay for it. And so financially, we're, we're kind of wide-eyed right now and trying to figure this all out. But we still, we still have resources. If you, if you have kids, if you have a busy family, you've got lots of things to go to, lots of events, soccer games, a oh, bunch of other games, you may feel like, man, I don't have any time to offer. But imagine if you were just to offer up what you have. It doesn't have to be much, but God cares about your heart. Let's say you want to offer up your time. You could volunteer in our kids' ministries, explorers or voyagers, one Sunday a month. That's it. You're already here anyways. We should be. That's <laughs> where we get fed. But if you take one Sunday a month and decide, I'm going to use this time to feed others. I'm going to offer that time to these kids. God could use you to radically change their, their world forever because they would have another adult in their corner who tells them that they're loved, who tells them the great things about them and, and believes in them. So the big point is it doesn't matter what you have to offer. It doesn't matter how much. What matters is whether you offer it or not. I want to tell you a very brief story um, of a kindergarten teacher in Albuquerque. Her name is Sonia Romero-Smith. So I heard this story years ago, and it's just been impactful uh, for me, so I, I was able to look it up again. There's this kindergarten teacher who, early into her teaching career, got really frustrated with her kids. You're like, why are they never paying attention? Why are they always so emotional? Why are they always so up and down? What is all this going on in their life? And she finally realized that she was in a very impoverished area of Al Albuquerque. And so she decided to ask a question, a simple question, and said, have you, have you eaten this morning? She started asking her kids, have you eaten this morning? Did you get the shower? Are you wearing clean clothes? And she very quickly found out that a lot of these kids just didn't have some of the basic things that we need to be even in a good mood, right? To be well-sustained. So what she, she decided to do is something very small. She ended up having a dresser in her classroom stocked with clean underwear, clean socks, clean just basic necessities that kids could grab whenever they wanted to. And if you can imagine that kind of impact for kids, just to know that they have someone in their corner who cares about them, who loves them, that's not much. That doesn't take much time or energy. But she offered up what she had. And in doing so, God is using her and has used her to impact the lives of these kids. So all of us in this room, kids, teens, parents, adults, singles, marrieds, everybody, if you <coughs> offer what you have, doesn't matter what you have. If you offer it up, if you're willing, God will use you to, big, to do big things. And one of the things I just want to point out, too, is that one of the reasons why we hold back our resources, while we hold back, is sometimes we look at the major problem, like take poverty in America, right? This, this problem that, that Sonia was dealing with. It's easy to look at the big problem and to think, wow, there's nothing I can do about that. Might, might as well not even try. And we just feel overwhelmed. So I heard this quote um, years and years ago, stuck with me. You, you may not be able to change the world, but you can change someone's world. You can. 
you can start a ripple effect. That teacher, Sonia, is changing the lives of her students. Slowly, gradually, but she's working on it. She can't solve the whole problem, but she can, she can take care of part of it. She can change someone's world. So I want to encourage you with that this morning of whatever you offer. It could be the smallest amount of time, the smallest amount of money, the smallest amount of whatever. And God can multiply it just like he did the food for the, for the multitudes. He can multiply your good works and what you offer to make an impact that the world will have never seen before, that will change the face of the world forever. So that's the second point that we learn is that God will do big things through you even if you don't have much to offer. Okay, kids, so this next point is going to be directed a little bit more at you. So listen, I want to see all of your eyes on me. Look at me, Max. Max, look at me. Okay, so the third thing that we can learn from Lunch Boy, the third thing that we can learn from Lunch Boy is that he was young. God will use you to do great things, even if you're young. It doesn't matter how old you are. Lunch Boy, he was young, and he was willing, and God used him to do a great... Oh, my goodness, excuse me, I just choked. He used him to do a great thing. Remember that guy, David? When he was a young, young man... He, slung, he threw a stone and hit Goliath right in the head and killed him after an army ran away. And David was young at that time. And God used him to do a great thing. Paul even has something to say about this. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Kids, Paul is just, Paul's trying to tell us that it doesn't matter how old you are to set a good example. You can be young and set a good example. And if you're willing, God will use you right now to set that good example. Right now. And what we can learn from Lunch Boy and from what Paul says and the other kids in the Bible is that God is not limited by our age. He's not limited by our age. As long as you're willing, God will worry about the details. So I'm going to talk to a specific generation in the room now. For those of you who, who might think that you're a little bit older than everybody else or that your time has been in the past or whatever, we need you. I can speak for the high schoolers and for the middle schoolers and for all the kids because I'm 18 and I still have that excuse. We need you to be in the game. We need you to show us how you love. We need you to show us how you serve. We need to show, you need to show us how to, how to do this Christian thing. So it's not just on the kids, it's also on you guys as well. Okay, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and talk about examples of people in real life who've done great things for God when they were willing. So kids, raise your hand if you know who Billy Graham is. Any kids know? Mandy. You raised your hand. Yes, I said your name, so. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. The first time Billy Graham ever spoke, he was 19 years old. That's, to put that in perspective, that is only one year older than me. That's crazy to think about. So when he spoke, all he did was just talk about the good things God has done for him. That's all he did. And God took that willing heart that Billy Graham had when he was 19 and used him to speak to millions of people 
for the rest of his life. Okay, here's another example. Kids, again, you probably won't know this, but raise your hand if you can tell me who Charles Spurgeon is. Yeah, okay. So, um, Charles Spurgeon is a theologian and an author from a while ago. <laughs> and I've never read any of his books, but Brian says that they're good. So... <laughs> but when he was 16 years old, he got saved. He became a Christian. One year later, he's 17 years old, and he is the, he is the lead pastor of a church. He's 17 years old and the lead pastor of a church. Again, let me put that into perspective for you. I'm 18. That's one year younger than me. So I could easily be the lead pastor of this church. Do you, I can do that. Brian, watch out. Coming for your job. But the point that I'm making is that it does not matter about your, your age doesn't matter to God. As long as you are willing, he will use you to do great things. We saw this with kids in the Bible. I just said them a while ago. And I said this with Billy Graham and with Charles Spurgeon. High schoolers, I'm going to talk to you guys for a second because I care about you guys a lot. And you're my peers, and I love you guys. And I don't have to tell you how difficult and how awesome high school can be at the same time. I don't have to tell you that. But you have this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to step out in faith and love people, follow in the footsteps of LB, and live out 1 Timothy 4.12, to love people, set an example. I'm going to call out some of you guys who don't feel uncomfortable. Ellie, you are such a quiet person, but you're an amazing listener, like one of the best listeners I've ever met. Be willing to let God use that to listen to someone else and be a shoulder for them to cry on and share Jesus' love with them. Be willing to do that great thing. Josiah, you just have this knack for being a friendly face and encouraging people. So let God use that to encourage someone and brighten their day. I see specific things in every single one of you high schoolers and middle schoolers that if you were willing, God would do great, great things through you. So here's the takeaway. Here's what I'm trying to say. Your age doesn't matter to God. Let him worry about the details. As long as you're willing, he will be there and he will use you to do great things. All right. So recap. We've learned three things from LB here. Because LB was insignificant. We don't know his name. He shows up in one verse of the Bible and people forget about him. He didn't have much to offer. Just a lunch, that's it. And he was young. So there are three things that we can immediately think about with ourselves, you know, whether it's that we're actually young or about our age or anything. We tend to think about those things and we disqualify ourselves. We say, oh, there's no way that God would use me. I got nothing to offer. I'm, insig I'm, in I'm insignificant. I can't play the guitar as nicely as Chris over here. <laughs> we, 
we think about these things. We think about our age. We think, oh, I'm too young. God could never use me yet. Maybe I have to wait till I get older. And then we get older and we're like, oh, I'm too old. I'm, not, I'm irrelevant. You know, people don't listen to me. Anymore. So we have all of these excuses. And what we can learn from LB is that if we're willing, that's all, we, that's all God needs. He needs a willing heart. That's all he wants from us. And if we are willing, God will do big things through us, through you. I want you to believe that this morning. I want you to leave believing that, that God will do big things through you. Just lean into it. Offer God what you have. Volunteer. Jump in. You know, lend a, lend a hand. Reach out to the people that are sitting alone that don't have as many friends, that, that struggle to find community. Go to where the need is. Just be willing and offer what you have. God will do big things. And it'll be unbelievable. So will you stand, Rock Creek? I just want to pray over all of us and over this church, knowing that this is a special place. You know, I've, I've been affiliated with Rock Creek Church for a long time, even though I've only been working here for the last couple years. You know, this was the church I went to that I started going to when I was a teenager. I was 16 years old. This is a special place. This is a special group of people. And God will use us, use this church. He will use you to do unbelievable things in the world. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this message. Thanks for speaking through Jack this morning in his first sermon. Uh, and we're so grateful for this miracle. Not only that you were able to feed people 2,000 years ago, a big crowd, that's pretty cool, but the lesson that we learn is that you constantly use people to do big things that, that the world looks at and you're like, what? <laughs> you constantly surprise us. I pray that you would give us a heart that is willing Give us a heart that, that is eager to step out and see what you will do through us. I pray for that encouragement, knowing that many of us feel as though our time has passed. Many of us feel as though there's nothing that God, God doesn't want to do a big thing through me. I'm just Joe Schmo. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, encourage us, help us to see that that isn't true and that you have big plans for every single one of us and for this community as a whole and our impact in Boulder County. Jesus, we thank you. We offer this time. We, we come before you in worship, and as we sing these last songs, I pray that you would shape our hearts, draw us closer to you, help us love you even more, and believe and trust in you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus.